I'm excited for people who have a calling and a sense that God is leading them to something bigger than themselves. That's what we are talking about today. And and sometimes those kinds of callings seem a little odd. That's where we were at today in our scripture. Uh, Jesus is talking about his experiences and his awareness of what is coming before him. And he's explaining this to his disciples, and it is not well received. Look with me to Mark chapter 8, beginning of verse 31 through 35, or 33, and follow along as I read, and you'll be familiar with this story, I'm sure, when you hear it. But he said, he then began to teach them, that is, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now, Peter's in this situation where he's, he's kind of desperate for uh, clarifying Jesus' words. He, he, Jesus is saying, this is what's coming. This is where I'm headed. And, 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 and Peter didn't really get it. But, but he felt like, for some reason, he, he needed to say something. And, I, you know, Peter's one of those guys who pretty typically uh, puts his foot in his mouth. And, and this is one of those occasions. But we, we might give him just a little credit Because just a minute before, he had just made the greatest declaration that had ever been made by anybody when he declared that Jesus was the Christ. They were out teaching and doing their thing, and they were on the road, and and Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And, And the people all said, well, some think you're this prophet or that prophet or John the Baptist raised from the dead. And Jesus said to them, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You're the Christ. And Jesus then began this passage of Scripture that we just talked about. Peter hears and says, oh, you don't understand, Jesus. You're talking about this stuff, but but that's not the Christ I know. That's not the Christ I I envision. That's not the future I see. Jesus, you must be mistaken. You you must be mixed up here. Now, you, you remember that... That, you know, in, in Mark's gospel, it's pretty short here, but, but if you, if you go back and you think about it, in Matthew, when Matthew records this situation, Jesus goes on and says, uh, says to, uh, to, uh, Peter, says, Peter, flesh and blood's not revealed this to you, but, but, but God Himself is. And I tell you, Peter, you, you, you are now called Peter and, and you are going to be the rock and, and, and the gates of hell aren't, aren't going to be able to stand against you. And Peter, you're the guy. What you bind is bound, and what you lose is loosed. And, and I'm sure Peter's feeling like, man, I've, I've got the word. But he didn't get the word. Somehow he, he kind of missed the idea that, that God was doing something bigger than he was, and God was doing something, something outside of the box, something outside of his consideration. For you see, Peter had this idea of the Christ. The Christ was this one who, uh, <coughs> excuse me, who was going to be this political revolutionary. Jesus was talking about being the suffering servant. 
And sometimes when we hear these ideas that, that seem far out there, that seem kind of bizarre to us, we, we have an odd reaction to them sometimes. This wasn't the only time Peter did these kinds of things. You remember Peter? He's the guy who wanted to call down fire on the, on the people when they didn't respond. He's the guy who wanted to build the, the tabernacle to commemorate the transfiguration. He's the guy who swore, I'd never turn from following you. Good spiritual passion, but misplaced understanding. And sometimes we do that. You know, a few weeks ago, we had Charlie Hardison come and share with us. And, and I don't know about you, if you, if you have a sense of uh, Charlie's calling, but, but it, maybe you were like me. When I first heard that Charlie Hardison was going to uh, a pretty dangerous place, I began to think, God, what are you doing? What are you saying here? And it took me a moment to get my head wrapped around that idea. And, and Charlie, I asked Charlie, talk to us a little bit about your calling and, and how you sense that happening and, and what that experience is like for you. And I asked him to just share a little video with us. And so watch this video, Charlie. Many people asked me about my decision to, uh, or our decision to, to move and you know wasn't it hard wasn't it scary and and to be honest it was it was quite easy um our decision was made my decision was made over about five years um and phyllis is probably even a little bit longer but it was a step-by-step process that that was able to kind of just be in be in sync or be you know following the cadence of, of jesus i guess um what i didn't expect um was how hard what other people had to say, you know, I expected some fear and and negative proclamations from some non-believers. They were saying some horrific things, you know, you know, and I just had to just ignore that. Um, but what I what I didn't expect was good Christian people to be filled with fear. And uh, and my uh, my brother-in-law um, said the abundance of knowledge hinders obedience. I would, I would probably have to also say the abundance of fear and doubt in the very character of God is also a stumbling block to um, obedience. But in my spirit, I had to, um, I had to answer, and that's, that answer was, get behind me, Satan. And when I did that, it was just a release of all the, of all the things that could have attached to me, and it was very freeing. I, I, my goal is to keep every step and every eye on Jesus so uh, we don't get in that place of fear and doubt and anxiety. So uh, that's what it's about. Here's Charlie Hardison and his family on their way to the Middle East to uh, work in a medical clinic. And and it, it seems kind of out there. And, and we, we, might, uh, we might, like Peter's words to Jesus, uh, uh, want to say, you know, are you sure this is the right step? Are you sure this is the right thing to do? And, and look at the Moraleses are here, and they're, they're leaving their pastoral positions. They're leaving the security of, of this place and this environment that they have lived and worked in for so many years. And, and we can ask those same kind of questions. Is, is this the right step? And honestly, we often have those kinds of questions we get sometimes a little crossways when we 
think as Jesus said. He said, you're not thinking as God would think. You don't have the mind of Christ in this. You're thinking like men. You're thinking like the mind of men, and you're making decisions based on those kinds of things. And, and Peter was doing that. He, he wanted this political revolutionary Christ. And Jesus was coming and saying, it's about suffering, and it's about death, and it's about heavenly kingdom, not earthly kingdom. And, and, and we kind of get in these kinds of places. And, and Jesus ends up having to take him aside and say, Peter. You're being used of Satan. This is a, a tool of Satan. And, and it has this idea to say, you know, here's this Peter. He's had this greatest moment ever in, in one moment. And in the next moment, <laughs> he is his greatest low. And sometimes even good people get in those kinds of positions. And the thing I love about this passage is that is that Jesus moves from this this great high of who am I in this proclamation of the Christ to this to this kind of a low moment when he's explaining his suffering and death. He's pouring out his heart and and he's being chastised and he's having to say to his own people, what's wrong with you? There's something off. But he rolls right from that into this discussion, this teaching moment. Because you see, the good news is we make a lot of kind of silly things that we do with God. God isn't done. God wasn't done with Peter. Jesus wasn't done with Peter for all the bizarre things that he said in the course of his life and ministry. He wasn't done with Peter. and He's not done with us when he does those things. But he stops and he says, just think with a minute for me with me a minute about what it is. To have this mind of God, what it is to make decisions, what it is to live life with this mind and heartbeat of God. And, and so he begins and he, and he continues this discussion. And in fact, he takes not just Peter, but he, he takes Peter and he takes his disciples and he takes all the crowd that were around them. They were in the middle of this teaching situation and he gathers them all together and he says, I'm going to I'm going to tell you what it is. If you really want to be a follower of mine, if you really want to walk in the in the mindset of God, I'm going to tell you what that looks like. So he began to tell them. Verse 34, chapter 8, Mark 38, 34. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's simple. If we're going to follow him, if we're going to walk in the mindset of God, if we're going to if we're going to make decisions based on those kinds of things, if we're going to live life like that, we've got to deny ourselves. That is to say, we've got to think more of God than we do of ourselves. That's not to say we have to think less of ourselves, but we just have to think more of God. We've got to have that mindset that says God is first in everything I do. God's more important than me. God's more important than anything else I have. God's more important than my family, my resources, my everything that I am. God's more important. If you're going to be one of my followers, if you're going to think like God, that, you have to kind of think that way. You've got to pick up your cross. Other passages of Scripture says you've got to pick up your cross daily. But he says you've got to pick up your cross. That is to say... You've got to live as one who already has taken the sentence of death upon himself. He's saying you've got to live like one who's already been sentenced to death. And what more can they do you? They can kill your body, but they can't kill your soul. If you're going to walk and live in this mindset with God, you've got to live that kind of life that says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
And I no longer live. You gotta follow Jesus. You gotta just keep on doing it. Every day. You just gotta keep on doing it again. You gotta keep on saying every day, God, you're the most important thing in my life. And God, I'm already dead. So what else do I have? I've already taken the sentence of death upon myself. That scare anybody else besides me? I mean, really, I mean, if you start living that. And Jesus goes on and he begins to describe this paradoxical reality that makes no sense to most of us and didn't make a lot of sense to them. He goes on, he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. He was talking pretty bizarre kinds of thoughts here. He, he's describing something that seems so out of our normal thinking. So we're we really going to we're going to save our lives by losing our lives? Are we really going to lose our lives and lose all this stuff we're going to save it? Could we really be successful in this world and gain all this stuff and yet forfeit our souls in the midst of it? And you're talking about the cross, Jesus. You're talking about suffering. You're talking about abuse. You're talking about death. And you're saying that's not a shameful thing? The cross in that day was absolutely the most shameful death that they could think to put somebody through. And Jesus is telling them, you can't be ashamed of that. You can't, excuse me, <laughs> you can't be ashamed of the cross. You can't be ashamed of that kind of stuff because this is the very direction of God. There's no shame in that. Rather, there's honor. We embrace that. And I think about the way I typically make decisions and the way I typically invest myself and, and commit myself to things. And I, and I wonder, God, God, am I, do I get caught up in this sense of thinking more like the men and more like the world than I think like God? Could that be me? I don't want it to be me. I think I'd rather be thinking like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who, who in the midst of conflict and suffering and persecution... He say these words in Romans. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? But don't you understand? You're about ready to be killed. Yeah. If God is for us, who can be against us? I think Jesus is challenging us to think bigger, to think riskier, to think more sacrificially. To think in ways that we don't typically think. 
Jesus was saying to them, if you don't get that kind of mindset going, you're not going to understand what I'm really about. And as we move through this season of Lent, we, we are seeing and we experience and we're reflecting on the fulfillment of these words. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And thank goodness, I'm going to be raised again to new life. And we're moving through Lent and we're thinking about those ideas. In the midst of it, I wonder if it's not time for us to be thinking, God, what is it that you want to say to me? God, what is it that you'd like to do in me? And God, what is it that you'd like to do through me? God, how is it that you'd like to use me in this day, in this life, that thinks more like God thinks and less like men think? It really is this question that we're asking us to say, Lord, what is your will in my life? What is it, what is it that you're doing in me and in this place and in who we are and the people around us? And how do I understand your will? That's not always easy to do. And too often we validate the, the valid, or we evaluate the validity of what God is doing in us or what we hear Him saying or what we hear others talking about based on what is good for us. What is convenient for us? What is good for our security and for all of those things for us? Sometimes we evaluate those very same things on what other people say. But I think God asks more of us than that. It's certainly what he was asking his disciples in Mark chapter 8. And I would invite you to to just consider this. When we make when we make decisions about about how we hear the Hardisons come and, and speak to us about I'm taking my wife and my two young boys and I'm taking them into a country that is quite dangerous because I feel like that's what God's calling me to. We have to be careful how we evaluate that. When we hear someone like the Moraleses here and they're saying, we're laying it all down. We're leaving it behind and and we're going by faith to a place that has no support for us other than the support of our family and friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord. How do we respond to those things? How do we respond when somebody says, I've got a a heart and a call to missions. I I am so excited. Do you know that we gave, I think, four or five brand new local ministers license out just this last month? We're going to come in and introduce them to you in just uh, another few weeks. But but you know that? Is that that exciting to you? Yes? Amen? Oh, that was a very 
kind of few scattered amens. But I'm telling you, that's really exciting to see young people, young people, most of whom are, are just finishing up their college or have recently finished up college, saying, I feel like God is calling me into the ministry. I don't know exactly what that looks like or what that means, but I want to explore the fact that maybe God has something for me that I, I didn't understand. And do you understand what this means, folks? These are young people who are saying, I'm making a choice to follow God's calling into ministry in ways that probably are not going to get me the fancy house and the fancy cars and all this kind of stuff because I feel like God is calling me and leading me and I'm willing to lay it down for him. I keep thinking back to that old country western song. I'm looking at my time. I've got two minutes. You remember the country western song? It said, oh, mama, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. And it scares me that sometimes in the church, we won't say it out loud. But when we think about our kids, we say, oh, Lord, (laughs) let them grow up to be doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs. Don't possibly let them be pastors and missionaries and such. And can I just say to you that when God is calling and God is leading and God is moving, it's a time and place for God's people to get behind it. Let me just close with this. In the decisions that you make in your life, if you, if you want to just say, am I, am I thinking correctly with, with, with how God thinks about decisions and stuff? I just want to say, when you're, when you're considering decisions or, or, you're, or you're talking about giving counsel out to another person, is that counsel or that thought you have or that decision you're making more about you or more about God and others? You know what I'm saying there? About for my convenience and my stuff, or is this about God and, and other people and their stuff? Are, are, those, are those decisions that I'm considering and the counsel that I'm giving more about collecting and holding or more about giving and releasing? Are the decisions I'm considering and the counsel I'm giving more about the here and now Or about the then and there. That is to say, does it have an eternal end to it? Or is it just about me right now in my own time? Those decisions in counsel, more about avoiding embarrassment. If I did that, what would people think? If I really spoke like that, what would people think? If I really act like that, what would people think? Is it about avoiding embarrassment or is it about embracing something that's bigger than yourself? Today, and in this season of Lent, I hope you'll keep those kinds of things in mind as you make decisions as you give counsel, as you evaluate your life and your stuff and your existence. It will shape and change drastically, I think, much of what we say and do 
Today we're going to close with an offering. So our ushers would prepare themselves. I really didn't have this in my sermon. But I think it fits. It's an opportunity for us to support somebody going out into ministry. Would you be willing to maybe be one of those people who would say, I'd be willing to support $50 a month or $100 a month? I would guess that each of us has plenty of things we could do with $50 or $100 a month, right? And yet at the same time, I think many of us see $50 or $100 a month just go for flitting away. I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I'm making a commitment to support them for $50 a month for these 30 months. That's me. Would you be willing to do that? Would you? If you'd like to give an offering, I'm going to give them just an offering today. You can, you can do that by writing a check and just make it out of the church and put Morales on it. Or you can get online and you can give. That's the way I gave this morning already. You can give online and there's a little... When you scroll down to the different things that you can give to, one of them is them. You can give that way as well. If you put cash in the offering today, it's just going to go for them. But folks, they're going to need more than that. We can give them a great offering. But I tell you what, these are us. These are us, guys. Southern Cal District folk. I hope many of you would consider matching what I'm going to do at $50 a month. Amen? Because I think it is one of those things that thinks it's not about me, it's about God. It's not about my stuff, it's about giving it away and filtering it through, being a, being a river for God to use and bless other people with how He's blessed us. We can do that. Amen? If you're going to do that, there are cards at the back and you can fill one of those out before you leave today. Make that part of what you do in worship today. Ushers come. Father, into your hands do we give all that we are. Lord, your disciples didn't understand what you were doing. They couldn't fathom this idea of sacrifice and and suffering and living in such a way as others were more important than self. Thank you for showing us the way, Jesus. We need your help. Sometimes we do pretty good with that, and sometimes we're like Peter, and we kind of get it mixed up. Would you keep reminding us as we go through life, especially as we go through this Lenten season, to consider all that you gave for us. And may our lives, our words, our resources, the investment of our time, all reflect the mindset of God. And so, Father, we give you our tithes and our offerings, our gifts and our very lives as worship. Receive it all. Bless both the gift and the giver. And help us as we live day by day in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give.